All right, welcome to Call and Shots. This is Seth Part. Now I am joined today by uh, Jared Dubin, and we're only going to talk about his work, nothing else. That's the plan, <laughs> right, Jared? Uh, no. Sure, so as <laughs> as as folks might be aware, I uh, dropped the annual player tiers uh, list, not rankings, uh, the list, the project, what have you. Uh, this week at the Athletic, and um, as usual, there are a number of questions, comments, um, implications about my sanity. Uh, and so I just wanted to, to get into those and just kind of start with, uh, you know, get, let, uh, let, let Jared grill me first and then uh, perhaps turn it over to members of the peanut gallery. So, Jared, what did you think overall of, of uh, how we did? So first, before we get to um, an omission that I consider on par with the great crimes in modern American history, um, I think I want to say that it, it's very impressive that you've now done this exercise three times. And the only thing that everybody on the Internet seems to agree on is that you are an idiot who has never watched basketball and obviously underrated the best player on their favorite team in a way that is not just stupid, but outright offensive. Um, I I think that's a really impressive feat to accomplish three years in a row. Um, So I'm, I'm very proud of you and I'm happy for you about that. And then my second thought before we get into, you know, different things that we can, you know, agree or disagree about or whatever, is that, you know, I have some things, some places where, you know, I disagreed or I have questions or whatever it is. And I just want people out there to know that it is possible to disagree with somebody's, you know, lists or rankings or tiers and just, you know, disagree with them and you know, not everybody has the luxury of being invited on a podcast to talk about the, the questions or comments that they have. But, you know, there is the comment section on The Athletic or there's email. I think everybody out there can probably guess the email format for The Athletic. And, you know, some people have their DMs open or things like that. And you can go in there. In, in fact, I do. And uh, people seem to have taken advantage of that. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it is legal to go into someone's DMs and just be like, hey, man, I disagree, and here's why, and not, like, threaten their family or whatever. Um, it's, like, it's also possible to be like, hey, this person thinks, you know, less of a player on my favorite team than I do. I, I don't care. They're wrong. And not, like, yell at them or, you know, insinuate that they don't deserve to be alive or whatever. I just think that that's something that, you know, pe- some people are capable of and others should be capable of. That said, not including Bruce <laughs> Brown on the tears is one of the great crimes in modern American history, and you should no longer be alive, sir. When any, would anyone care to guess uh, what institution of higher learning Jared attended? <laughs> and uh, uh, yes, so this is one of those. So a few things. First of all, thank you for saying that. Second of all, like you, you've mentioned, it's like three years at this point. Like you. I cared a lot what people said the first year, less last year, and this year kind of none at all, because it was sort of expected. So I like I appreciate you saying that, and mostly it's just people emoting, and people have had a lot to emote about over the past couple of years, so I don't take it personally. Um, I will say that, that the sort of, the one thing that is sort of frustrating is the the lack of engagement with the premise. And the premise is, I think these players are you know, roughly ordered best in one specific context, and that's, you know, health permitting, which which guys it would be most helpful towards winning an NBA title next year. It's not who would I rather have for the next 10 years. 
what player has the best trade value incorporating contract, who has the highest potential or anything like that. It's like, if the 22-23 season started today, which player being on a team on generic contender X would do most towards getting that team to a title? And that's a, I think that's a fairly specific criteria. And you could have a, like, you could have a, you could have any number of different criteria for quote unquote the best players in the league. And that's all fine. But like, that's, that's the basis I'm starting from. And so it seems like a lot of the, you know, a lot of the disagreements are there's a specific player type that I've sort of consistently been lower on than than kind of consensus and that's the you know the moderate efficiency high volume primary score Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that you know not only are people um i don't want to say they're reluctant to engage with the premise i think they are like specifically not engaging with the premise because they're not even paying attention to the premise and all they see on twitter is like the number or the tier or whatever or they just want to yell about wherever their favorite player is. But right. also, I think it's worth noting that it's a it, in general, I think it's been a top 125 every year in the tiers. Yep. That means every single player on the list is a starter quality player or better. So nobody is being like disrespected and being told that they're you know not good. Except like, for if, if if you're one of the 125 <laughs> best players in the NBA. By definition, you are a starter quality player, and almost every starter quality player helps their team in some way or another. Um, so even being on the list at all, I think, you know, this is what we get into, like, I think every year when people are like, oh, my God, it's so disrespectful to have, you know, Joel Embiid third on your MVP ballot. It's like you're literally calling the guy one of the three best players in the league this year how on earth that's disrespectful is beyond me. Obviously 125 is uh, you know, a decent shout away from three, but you know, I, I do think it's worth noting that like even making onto this list means you are by definition a good player and, and trying to say that you think that player's not good because they're in tier four instead of tier two a is very strange to me, but I may be, you know, hoping for a little bit too much from, you know, the the fine people of Twitter.com. I I, I appreciate that. And all, like, the one thing I'll add, and then I'll let you tell me where I was actually wrong, is that, like, the 125 number is arbitrary. Um, When I've done this exercise, quote-unquote, for real, to just, like, you know, the players who are at various levels of contribution, like, the, the Tier 5 actually ends up being... Somewhere like either you know the it's usually around the 80th to 120th or 150th. So there's probably a, a group of a group of about 15 players who, you know, they if if I was if I was if I was not artificially limited by myself because round numbers uh, to 125 would have been on the list as well. And you know they include include guys like Bruce Brown, Pat Connaughton, Tyus Jones, like we're good players who. Just you named three of the guys I was going to ask about not making the cut. Uh, <laughs> so addition, uh, the the other two guys uh, from the the list of the guys that dropped out this year um, were Kyle Anderson and um, uh, three guys: Kyle Anderson, Avita Zubats, and Nick Batum. I thought had pretty decent cases. Let me do my Bruce Brown thing specifically because he's the one I care about most. We're talking about, you know, 
basically helping you win a championship. And I think in the last two playoffs, Brown has shown that he's specifically valuable in a playoff context on a good team because of his versatility on defense and the way that he fits in with star players. And now he's going to be playing with the guy who in tier one, you said has been, you know, the best regular season player in the league over the past two seasons, um, which I uh, agreed with at least, you know, with the regular season qualifier. So uh, I think he has shown that he's a very valuable playoff player. And for that reason, I'm going to make a confession. um, Yeah. Uh, I, I did, sort of choose to, to duck a punch and include one player in Tier 5 that I might otherwise not have, and Bruce Brown was the guy who unfortunately made way for that. Well, look, that means so, that you did it just to spite me. You put him at 126 just so I could come on this podcast and yeah, complain right. about it. Um, so Zubats <laughs> is an interesting one. I think that that like I've, I may have been sort of the end, and thanks for I see you lining up with questions. We'll, we'll get to them after I answer these particular charges from Jared. Um, I think I may have been one of the last defenders of the traditional center prior to this year, but I kind of gave up the ghost of that a little bit. And I think that, that Zubats is, is kind of a guy who, I, like, you know, I, I don't know how much a, a guy who can probably give you 20 pretty good minutes in most playoff matchups, but in, in some matchups is borderline unplayable. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know where that, like, the, like the bar to be a, a playoff positive as a f- pure five, I, I think I, I've come around to that just being higher in in today's NBA than it was in the past. Like I think That's if, fair. if if it was if it was a hundred like if it, it was a list of one hundred twenty five most like impactful over creating regular season wins type players, he'd probably be there. But I think that other players kind of you know, the, the relative value when we're talking about advancing in towards in the playoffs and further, you know, shifts things uh, away from that sort of player type. And no, I, I think that that's a fair charge. I'm, I'm interested then, like, why wouldn't somebody like Connaughton, who has been, um, you know, a playoff rotation player and looked like one of, you know, the four or five best guys on the Bucks this year in terms of, like, their playoff utility, um, where was the cutoff for him as opposed to, you know, somebody who made the list that, like, so for example, I think Keldon Johnson is probably a better player than Pat Connaughton, but we've also seen Pat Connaughton be a really important playoff player. How do you make those kind of decisions where, you know, you think somebody's a better player based on what they've done in the regular season, but we haven't seen them be able to do it in, you know, a different context? Uh, you just kind of close your eyes and guess. Um, you know, I, it's, it, again, that's not there. It really like, it should be like the top 143. And because I limited myself to 120, partially the reason I limited myself to 125 is that the whole point of this is it's born out of, of teams, fans, media talking themselves into there being 20 top five players. And so having to be really stingy about how you how you rate players. So that means does that mean that I left some players that I would like to include off or or push players down? I mean that was I think I repeated it three times across the the articles is when in doubt push them down. So if you wanted to argue to me that you would have had Connaughton instead of instead of Kelvin Johnson or that I'm giving too much of like a a rookie so he'll get better bump to Io DeSumo, I'm not going to argue greatly, greatly with you. Um it's just, you know, I think it was sort of the the more the higher ball in hands ability 
uh, plus building probably in Johnson's case a little bit of like growth in there. If if I was if I was picking nits, that's really what what we're talking about. Yeah. For what it's worth, I wasn't saying that like I would put Connaughton over Keldon Johnson specifically. He was just the first guy that when I was scrolling down the list, I saw that could be considered like a combo forward. Sure, sure, sure. So, so that was sure. the guy that I picked out. All right. Uh, I wasn't going to say, you know, him or Jakob Pertl or Mike Conley, who were, you know, point guards and centers. Yeah. I didn't think that was a comparison that made that much sense. All right. Let's get to some callers. Um, I'm, I'm ducking. I have a quick mute finger ready here if it gets vitriolic, but I'm sure that uh, the, the fine folks who've joined us would never do such a thing like that. Uh, Aristotle, great name. Um, what I do wrong? Yeah, if you want to hit the mute button at the bottom right of your screen there. Okay, if you uh, if you come back, um, uh, jump back in the queue, and we'll get to you then. Josh. Hey, Seth. First hey. of all, this was incredible. Uh, I think you nailed this. You, if I disagree with, like, five players, that means you did 120 out of 125 I would have put in, which is, I mean, awesome. So I really appreciate your work on this. Uh I have two questions, and you can probably figure out that I'm a Warriors fan from these. One, uh, the four kind of second, third-year guards uh, pool that are all kind of defense questionable of, like, Poole, Maxi, Halliburton, and Hero. How did you think about separating Tyrese Maxi from the other three of those? Um, I... I, I... Mostly, I just think that that he has shown a little bit more of an ability. I like for, first of all, I think he's he is better defensively than than the rest of those guys. I think that that you know he's the dif- the difference between being a target and being bad. You know, we pool. I don't think we have to we have to go too much into. Um, I think that I think that. Um, Hero certainly had before he uh, before he kind of uh, injured, was injured out of the playoffs. I think that that he uh, he was targeted, um, and the only reason he wasn't targeted more is that in many of Miami's lineups there were multiple targets. Um, <laughs> uh, so I mean, I think that's the biggest one, and and on some level, I think that's just a it's a little bit of a judgment that just with his. His his speed, scoring, and and playmaking ability. I think that that he can. He's someone who can. Well, I think someone who would do more to drive offense on a team, a little more than Poole. I like. I'm. I have. I've never been a big Jordan Poole uh, fan. Um, back from when he was entering the draft. Back from when he was in Michigan. Uh, so I'll, I'll I'll maybe admit to kind of coming around on him grudgingly. Um, and I, so I, I, so I think that those factors all sort of combined to me, just having Maxi just a just a, a slight tick above. Um, you had you had one more Warriors rated question. I'm sure it was about why I didn't have James Wiseman on the list. <laughs> I've yeah, actually got exactly. a Warriors related question too, and right. Josh can chime in on this also because I'm curious if it's in line with his. So we've got Draymond um, in tier three B. Um, I'm curious how you weigh the 82 gameness versus 16 gameness with these players because I think, like for example, Kyrie is in 3A. Kyrie's shot creation, um, you know, in a specific single game setting, is incredibly valuable. Obviously, when you're trying to win a championship, but he's completely unreliable in the regular season and he's really bad 
uh, on defense. So I'm, I'm just curious how you weigh those two different factors. And Josh, was that close to your question or was it about a different player? It wasn't actually, but I, I'm right. completely, I, I actually think love the Draymond thought there of like, I think Draymond has such an incredible impact on some games, but I think you can see the slippage like in games one and two of the finals oh, that didn't sure. happen maybe four or five years ago, at least for me. So I see Draymond in that three B is like a perfect ranking. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think if it was three or four years ago, I think he'd be higher. I think it's, it's as much about like, you know, if over the first half of this season, he was, a, he was probably a tier two player. Then, it's, then, then you know, a, an older guy who, who probably doesn't have a ton of athleticism to spare, given how, given his size for position, um, starts to pick up things like back and calf issues. You do start to wonder. So, that's that's a little bit of a hedge against sort of the wheels falling off. As far as Kyrie, that's that was as much. And I said this in the write up. That was sort of holding my nose and putting him there because, as I said, I I just. You know, there are, there are a few players in the list that I just I just would not want on my team under any circumstances, and and he's one of them. Though I have to acknowledge that that he is in fact quite good. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I'm just looking at like to win the title just next year, for example. Yeah, I might rather have Draymond than Bam, but I'm also like among NBA like fans and media members who aren't actually Warriors fans, I might be higher on Draymond than anybody else is. So that could be weighed in there, too. And I, I, again, I think a little of that is, like, you know, um, it's a little bit of the downside risk of just mm-hmm. wheels falling completely off for Draymond. Which is and definitely think, possible. And I think, we have, I, think we have to, I think we have to acknowledge that. Uh, Josh, you got anything else, or, or should we move on? Yeah, my other question was uh, really based on sort of the absolute tier 1A superstars. I find that I hear a lot of analysts talk about these sort of Durant, Kawhi, at a slightly lower level, Jason Tatum guys, on par with sort of LeBron of three or four years ago, Steph of the last five or six years, and Giannis. And the way I see it is that those guys have such a disproportionate impact on not just their own scoring and playing, but their whole team. And I wonder if you see that there is sort of a difference between that group of players and these sort of predator wings that are awesome for themselves, but maybe don't have the same impact on their teammates and whether that I, I see that as sort of a difference in evaluation between me and what I see a lot out there, including for you. I think that's fair. Um, I think the reason why, you know, healthy Kawhi and KD are up there for me is like the playoff versions of both players are, are both kind of one a offensively and one a defensively. Um, like in Kevin Durant, I explicitly am giving a mulligan for this season just because like Brooklyn had the season from hell and it was somewhat of his making, but like off the court rather than on the court and not in like a, you know, a disruptive way, more in a pick the wrong friends way. Um, <laughs> but um, but you don't have to think that far back to just think of how transcendent he was on both ends of the court against against, you know, severely overmatched against uh, against Milwaukee last year. So I think that's that is um yeah, like a player like like Steph has playmaking and his gravity does stuff, but I, I think you're you're underselling it a little bit the degree to which like Durant's presence and the extra attention he draws like opens things up for a Bruce Brown, for mm-hmm. if you look at last year's Brooklyn team, for Jeff Green, for a Blake Griffin, for 
for whoever else. Um, he may not do it as directly as as Steph does, but it's still there. Um, and and Kawhi is somewhat similar. Plus, you know, you mentioned the word Terminator, and uh, like sort of that describes Kawhi perfectly. Um, but I, I I take your point. But it's 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 there's different ways to to, to skin the cat, I suppose. And and all of those guys, with the exception of of, of Kawhi this year, that's large, as much because of of you know missing so much time with the ACL injury and not knowing exactly what he'll have when he comes back. That's what that's about. I think it's a good point too, but I would push back slightly on the idea that you know like the Kawhis and the Tatum specifically are being put on the same level as like you know LeBron or Steph or whatever from five six years ago or Giannis now. Like um, if that were the case, they would all be in tier one A. Kawhi's in one C, Tatum's in tier two. Um, LeBron is even in one C this year. Jimmy Butler in, t- in tier two. So I think they are considered like just even just within the context of the tiers project, like not quite as good as you know peak LeBron, peak Steph, Giannis right now. Yeah. It's no, Ka- Kawhi it, like like healthy Kawhi would be one A, right? Like yes, the Kawhi the, the Kawhi that existed until he got hurt against Utah last year would be one A. But you know that's that that's that's neither here nor there because we don't know if that player exists. Uh, Mike. Uh, you want to unmute and uh, and um, what can we do for you? Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I have no quibbles or comments or questions about um, the placement of the players in the tiers. What I'm wondering is how you would relate this um, way of you know thinking about different levels of players in the NBA to the draft. Should uh, if you're making a draft board. Should you have your tiers be, you know, correspond more or less exactly, you know, proportionally to how many players are in each of your NBA tiers? Or I would think maybe it should be 1.2x. There's, you know, more uncertainty. Um, a player. So there's there's a couple. That's a great question, and there's a couple different ways to look at it. First, um, I don't think you can really constrain any one draft that way. Like the, uh, um, you know, a lot of people who are. I'm, I have certainly, you know, since I left the league, I have not been much of a draft guy. Um, it's, it's, you're either all in or all out, and I, I haven't had time to study it as much as I might have. Um, but, uh, but people who are, who are more invested in than I am have, have talked a lot about how there are four or five guys from last year's draft that as prospects they would have taken over everyone, anyone in this year's draft. So, and that's, you know, last year I think was a particularly good draft, and this year is maybe a somewhat more mediocre one, but I think that that's, that is sort of how it works. There's some drafts that are good, some drafts that are bad, and so it's not like there will be two Tier 1 stars in this draft. It's You know, there might be. There might be four in one draft and zero in the next three, so I don't think you can do it that way. Um, the other part of that is I do think that um, it is useful to kind of put, kind of try to put some, like, outcome percentages and sort of tie that to draft slot to know kind of what you need to get for uh, you know a pick to work out. If you get a if you get a you know you get a t- tier five guy out of a top three pick, even from even on a rookie scale contract, that's kind of disastrous. Um, so you know knowing you probably have to aim a little higher than that is is important. Um, that that really starts to get into you know. Um, "Quote unquote ready to playness or upside, um, the the trade off between those two things kind of it start to get into like after the lottery, kind of the late first round, um, you know, sort of 
getting a better idea of whether just getting a pretty good player is actually a pretty big win or you need to swing for more. Um, and that's that's always a tough a tough determination, but I think it could help if you if you try to start putting some probabilities on outcomes for given players, it can at least frame that discussion. What do you think, Jared? Uh, yeah, like it it helps so much when it comes to the draft to think in terms of range of outcomes rather than specifically like you know a player comparison or what's the ceiling or what does it look like if everything works out. Um, it, it, it helps a lot, or, or maybe not instead of those things, but, you know, in addition to those things. Like, the ceiling is X, and the floor is Y, and the median is Z, and, you know, we think that there's, like, a really good chance that he ends up being this, and if everything works out, he could be that, and if he hits the low end, he could be this other thing. Like, you know, you mentioned if you get a, a Tier 5 player in the top three, that's not great, but if you are sitting there in the 20s and you're like, you know what, we have a guy who we don't think he's ever going to be a Tier 1 or Tier 2 player, but we're pretty confident that he's going to be, you know, a starter quality Tier 5 type of player. That's a that's a great pick in the 20s. You know, if you got to start, like, I'm thinking, Quentin for example, Grimes. yeah, I was, that's exactly who I was going to say. Quentin Grimes is is in Tier 5 this year after his rookie season. Io Desumu, who I think was an early second round pick, is in Tier 5 after his rookie year. Um, Emmanuel Quickly was another pick in the 20s, who was in there. Um, Kavon Looney, I think, was a late first-round pick. Um, he took a while for me to... He took a while to get there, I think, for yes. me. I think I was I was probably a little slower on Kavon Looney uh, than I should have. But this year, I mean, partially is because he didn't really have a huge role on the Warriors, on a relevant Warriors team until this year. And then this year, he kind of illustrated exactly how important he is to, to kind of this version of that team. Right, I think that makes sense, but uh, no, I, I do think that the the range of outcomes heuristic—that's not the right word—but you guys know what I'm saying—is um, really helpful to think about when it comes to the draft because, like you said, not every draft is created equal. Like you go back to 2001, there are absolutely no tier one and probably no tier two players from that draft. That was like the, the draft where Kenyon Martin was the best player. Whereas you go to like 2003, and you're talking about three, four tier one guys from that one class. So at saying it should be like proportional to these type of tiers is not particularly useful, I think. But I do think, you know, thinking in terms of like, what are the chances this guy can become a tier one type player? What are the chances he's a, more of a tier three or tier five type of player would be helpful when you're going into the draft? Granted, I'm not in a front office, but you did work in one. So yeah. if you're thinking that way... <laughs> Irrational exuberance is, 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 you know, the draft is maybe even more so um, than even, like, evaluating, like, the players around the league and on your team. Um, it's sort of, if I had to, like, if, if I had to, to give a piece of advice for someone who's going to use the tiers framework in terms of looking at the draft, think of what, okay, whatever you think, if you're going to, if your instant reaction is to say, I think this, his median outcome is a tier three player, uh, bump it down at least, at least one full band. Um, just, just because you're probably, that's, you're probably not actually the 50th percentile outcome because I think as a rule, we vastly underrate the, uh, undercount, undervalue, underestimate the sheer shit happens factor of players going from the draft to an NBA team. Um, you talk about injuries, wrong situation, wrong coach, wrong, you know, agent, wrong city, all these things that can, you know, put in the, like 
you know, I don't think, the, I guess one of the, the really interesting counterfactuals to me is, like, Anthony Bennett was probably never going to be a good player, but I can't imagine, like, like if, if, if uh, Cleveland had been trying to destroy the value of the number one pick in, like, a Brewster's Millions sort of way, I don't know what they would have done differently than what they actually did with Anthony Bennett, his, like, his, his first 12 to 18 months in the league. So that, like, could he have been, like, a was he ever going to justify the number one pick based on what we've seen? No. Could he have carved out a solid career? Like, you know, Kwame Brown carved out a solid career. He just was not, never worthy of being the number one pick. And Michael Jordan let him hear about that often. So I don't know where I'm going with this. I just kind of bounced around. Now I'm talking about Kwame Brown. Um, no, I think it's a it's a good uh, way to think about things also. Like, it, it, it helps a lot of times with the draft. To just think about like, but what if I'm wrong? You know, because like more often than not, when it comes to the draft, you're gonna be wrong. So if you think somebody is like a tier three player because of you know they can do this and this and that, they can do this, and I think they can do that and the other thing. Well, what if they can't do that and the other thing? Is a useful thing to think about. And then what would what kind of tier player would they be? That's right. Uh, Mike, any, any other any other any other questions? Any, anything more specific about uh, the players themselves? Uh, no, no, that was great. Um, I think, yeah, I think using the tier system as sort of guardrail, uh, specifically how that could work is how I think about it. So uh, I really appreciate your answers. Uh, it's funny in the draft world, there's no consensus on how big any tier should be. So you know, I've seen people with tier four with like you know ten players, people with tier four with thirty players. Um, they're, I mean, they're using they're using the tiers in a complete like like frankly when we sure. when we when we did like draft prep, we didn't have like like tier three didn't signify anything in particular. It just that happened to be sort of the third group of players in a draft. There might be one tier one guy, and if you think there's a huge gap between him and the next group, it's not like well, we have one tier one guy and three tier four guys. It's just the next group starts where it starts, and, it's, and, and it, so it's. Um, so I think a lot of them aren't using the terminology in the same play. I think in the same way, where it does come into account, I think, is when you start to use the more kind of standard definitions of like uh, like a franchise player versus a core player or something like that. That's where the swishiness of what you consider to be a franchise player, um, like uh, keeping the sh- the proper shape of the league in mind is really important because there's only three or three, five, seven of those guys at any one time. And you can't, so can't, there can't be 25 franchise players. Like (laughs) for as good as Devin Booker is, he's never going to be a franchise player. Like on on that, on that rubric. And I think that's just really important. That's really important to keep in mind. And I think right now, a lot of teams are sort of making moves to, keep players happy who, while they're pretty good players, it's just like, okay, if he left, that would suck, but if he's our guy that we're building around, where are we? One thing I want to ask now that I think about it, it's a little bit off topic, but since you mentioned, like, the, you know, the tier three just happened to be the third tier, I wonder how this compares, like, in um, NFL drafts a lot of time, it's a little bit different because the NFL has seven rounds in the draft and then, like, hundreds of guys that get signed as undrafted free agents. But a lot of times teams will, will come into the draft and they'll be like, you know, we had, you know, 14 first round grades on players and, you know, you don't give the top 32 players all first round grades because there are 32 picks 
in the first round. It's however many first round grades there are is it. And I'm curious if, if that kind of thing was a consideration. Like if you say, you know, we think there are only, you know, 15 players worthy of being drafted in the first round this year. And then, you know, our next tier is guys that we consider second rounders. Does that then motivate something like a trade down or a trade out? I'm curious how that kind of thing works. So two things. One, first of all, in, in the NFL, like in, in football, it's much more context specific. It's not like, okay, we have four guys we have first round grade, grades on. It's not like the other of the quote unquote top 32 are bad. It's just like, okay, we play, we play a 4-3. What do we need like a, like a nose tackle? For? Like he's, he's a great nose tackle. Okay. We don't care. We don't, that, that, that player has no, no, no role in our schemes. So we don't have a first round grade on him because we can't use him. Um, so that, I mean, that, that's part of it in football. Secondly, I think that, um, to some extent, I think it's more just about like, okay, you know, in the 15 to 23 range, that's a group. If we're picking at, if we're picking at 16 and all of those guys are still on the board and we got off of the 23rd pick, is it worth trading down? Probably. Cause we're going to get one of the guys we're relatively indifferent between and pick up something else extra for it. Now, you say you're going to do that, but then you start to argue about the ranking within that that group, and then all of a sudden you, you have, no, we really wanted this guy because he was like, he was not just in the in the group that was our range, but he was our favorite, so we want him. <laughs> just like, so you almost talk yourself out of the process that you've done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, Abdul Rahman, who, uh, uh, who is kind enough to join us as always. Hi, I have a couple questions about the one twenty-seven player, and that's Reggie Bullock. How he how he doesn't appear in the list? Uh, Reggie Bullock? Hey, yes. Yeah. Um. I think. I mean, frankly, he's probably he's in that group of like guys who are just next. Um. I think. I think like the if I had to say, I think he's probably a little overrated defensively. I think we kind of saw that last year in the playoffs when it's like, oh, Reggie Bullock, go guard Trey Young. Oh, that didn't work. Um, so, and I think that the, the comparison with, you know, when, when uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is asked to, to kind of, and Dorian Finney-Smith is obviously the higher tier. I had him as one of the elite role players, but I think that that's a pretty sizable gap just in terms of, I think Dorian Finney-Smith is, uh, you know, sorry for, for being a fan of, uh, of someone from a, another school in Florida, Jared. But uh, but I think that you know just the difference between being that that big wing who can guard like one through four versus a, a, a pretty good wing defender who probably can't stay in front of the best ones with any real um, consistency. I think that would if I was again a lot of this is about nitpicking, and I think that's the nit I would pick with Bullock. Aside and on top of the like almost complete lack of of sort of ball and hands ability. Um, so this raises a question for me, actually, yeah. now that I think about it, because we've now talked about several players that are probably in, like, the next group. Um, how did we settle on 125 and not 150, which is the number of starters in the league? Um, I think 125 was closer to, like, a quarter of the league. And so that okay. felt like, like, I, like again, the, the ethic behind this is being uh, stingy. And if we start, well, he's got to be in, and he's got to be in, and he's got to be in, and he's actually this good too, then we've sort of lost the point of it. So I, if like, I'd rather there be like 
guys. He's like, yeah, I, I, I wish I would have been able to fit them in. Rather more of that than there be guys. You know, now that I think about it, that was probably too optimistic of me. So well, I think it, this it, also it's just a question of which to, way I want to miss. This probably goes back to what you were just talking about with the draft, too. There's probably not much difference between guys, you know, 110 to 125 and guys 126 to 140. Right, and probably not that much, frankly, probably not that much difference between guys 110 to 140 either. Um, but I think I do think that, that, that round numbers are fun, and, uh, <laughs> and also just imposing that at, at a certain point is, um, I, I, I think it is worthwhile for, for just in terms of, of making you think really hard about it each and every spot. Anything else we can? Uh, anything else we can answer for you? Yes. Are you underrating uh, Darius Garland because he uh, have all tools to be great number two guy and have pretty good off ball and catch uh, and three point shooting, and he doesn't play hide the role on defense can guard point of attack badly, but not someone who you want to hide. I think that's a that's a reasonable point. I think he's got every chance to 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 move up. I you know aside from rookies, I try. I'm trying to avoid doing a whole lot of projected improvements. Um, like rookies kind of get a little bit of a leg up just because anyone who's a rookie and has been like a decent NBA player, considering how bad rookies tend to be in general, I think giving them a little bit of a of a, okay, he was good as a rookie, so I think he's going to be. Even a little bit better as a second-year player, so I'll you know maybe give him you know a, a tier or half a tier of a of a bump. Um, you know Garland. You know I, I I think if he if he had the same season this coming year that he had last year, would he start to threaten moving up a tier? I think so. Um, but I I again I'm also intentionally being a little stubborn here because what I what I want to avoid is. You know, if it if it, it's wild variation, like a guy is tier four one year, tier two the next, and then tier five, and then tier three, and then then like I I don't, then my evaluation is probably a little too fickle. So I want to I w- I would I want to flatten that out, and if that means that I'm a little late, a little slow on a guy on the ascent, I'm I'm fine missing that way. Yeah, I think it's it's a good point in terms of Garland with his ability to move up tiers. Like I could see him being, you know, in one of the top tier three tiers next year, like you said, but I'm looking at it now. Like I'm not sure I'd take him specifically next season over any of the tier three C guys. Um, but I, but I think it's possible that by the end of the next, by, by the end of next year, I would. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of upward mobility potential for him, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think, and I think that's true for a lot of guys, and I feel like that's almost where most of the blowback comes. Is like, you know, if if fans of a team says, "Hey, this guy is gonna be X, Y, and Z," great. If he is, I'll move him up. But I I I don't want to assume that because again, um, you magic asterisk improvement at your own risk. This is one of the things that always makes me uh, angry too. Is when you know, you may you you say something about a player and what they are, um, and then that player improves, and then people say people use that improvement to say that he was always that good, which is not the case. I like to call this the Josh Allen corollary, 
uh, Josh Allen from the Buffalo Bills, where he was not a particularly good player his first two years in the NFL, and in the last two years has been one of like the five best players or the five best quarterbacks in the NFL. And Bills fans love to tell you that you know because he was this good the last two years that everybody was stupid for saying he wasn't that good his first two years. When the fact is he wasn't that good his first two years. You know, um, it's a similar thing with. I, I got, I got yelled at so much for a couple of years, the, his first year in New Orleans, saying that Brandon Ingram hadn't been a particularly good player in Los Angeles, and he was playing much better in New Orleans. Yeah, and I, like, the same thing, um, not last offseason, but the year before, where I said, you know, R.J. Barrett was not good as a rookie, like, and then he got better, and then I said, guess what? It's be- he got better. Great! You know? like, and, and I think to pretend that Barrett was as good as a rookie as he was in year two or year three does a disservice to his development in the same way that it does a disservice to Brandon Ingram's development that you now have him, you know, in near the top of tier four as like a top 50 guy to pretend that he was that good, you know, his, his first year in new Orleans or, you know, his, his years in, in LA, like guys get better and that, you know, affects what people think about them. That, that, there's, an, there's an interesting point here that in the way I've written them up, Maybe maybe if I had decided instead of doing like a like an explication of why everyone is where, just go like a like a bullets of what he would have to do to move up, what he ha- what he what he, what will have happened if he moves down. I think that might be there might be some interesting like that might even better, but that seems like a lot of work. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might just want to do it for the like the tier one guys. You don't really need to do that. Um, but for I think specifically for. Here's two, three, and maybe four. Like, what would it look like if they made the leap to a tier one player or a, or a tier two player or whatever? I think that that would be an interesting exercise. But uh, in fairness to you, that is, let's see, 84 minus nine. That's like 75 players. So it would probably be a lot of work. Yeah. And, and you know, based on based on the feedback uh, of that it seems mostly reacting to the list itself, um, it would be self-indulgent. Um, let's talk about since it's one of the big things. Let's talk about RJ, just because why not? It's it's it was he was the big controversy and and thanks for the call, Abdul Rahman. And if anyone else has has quibbled has bones to pick with me, please uh, please type up. Um, so I, I didn't have him on last year, and that like um, raised a lot of anger. And I have him tier five this year, and that raised a lot of anger. Um, you know, at, you're a Knicks fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, you're a Knicks fan, so what do you think? <laughs> I am, like, I just don't think it's an insult to say someone's a starter-quality player heading into their fourth year in the league, I guess. like, And if you think that he's better than that, great. He, he, then, then he's better than that, and that's a perfectly valid opinion to have. Other people might disagree. I don't think we need to, you know, insult your family or things like that. <laughs> like, um, the, the border between, like, starter-quality player... And, like, maybe he can be your third or fourth best player is, like, the line between that, I think, is somewhat flexible and a matter of opinion. Like, I mean, he's, he's got to be, like, if, if you want to ask, like, he's got to be a more efficient scorer if he's going to make that. Like, and yeah, whether, like, that's, whether that's being a better finisher at the rim, adding something of a mid-range game, being more consistent from three, or... My biggest thing is, and I think when he is when he has had his best stretches of play, it is if he gets to the free throw line ten times a game. If he's doing that, 
he's probably moved up the tiers because then he's probably he's probably not you know high volume kind of wretched efficiency. He's probably high volume averages efficiency. And then you add in the fact that he's a a pretty good defender and can you know hit hit a spot up shot. And now we're starting to talk about a a you know the guy who's in that sort of weird line between a role player and a primary that is still would still be useful on a on a good team even if he's not someone who's good enough to be to carry the to carry a team on his own and I, but I just by think- the way and, and can i add by the way carry it like okay well he carried the next last year yeah, they, won, they won 35 games so like let's you know I'm, I'm talking about carry a good team not just not just be a guy who who gets numbers on a team going nowhere I think we need to get to a place where it's okay to just think a player is good. Um, like, it's it's okay to be a good player and a like and still have potential room for growth. It doesn't have to be like the guy is a star right now or he's trash. Um, and I, but I do think, um, like, I, I think right now, for example, RJ is a good player who's going to help his teams, and I think he's going to help his teams in a bunch of different ways for. A while because of his frame and his size and his physicality and his commitment and the way he's gotten better in each season so far. All of those things bode really well for his future. But we don't have to pretend he's a star yet. Like the potential is is there to one degree or another, depending on how you feel, um, to be, you know, different kinds of players. But I do think, like you said, we need to see him score at something approaching like average efficiency before we can say he's a star caliber player. Um, you know, the second half of the season scoring 20 whatever points a game on like 40% shooting and 32 from three, like the numbers look great, but if you're doing it at that low efficiency, it's not good enough. And I think he would tell you the same thing. It's, and some of that is also like Tibbs playing him thirty-seven minutes a game. Like it's the, uh, it's the oh, the, even the, more than that in yeah. the second half of the yeah. year. He did the thing with him um, where he would play the entire first quarter and then stay out there for the first few minutes of the second. He did that a lot in the second half of the year. Which, like, credit and, to RJ so to be think, able to so physically he, handle that. Yeah. So you think he's going to be a good player for a long time? Do you? That's a little bit of a hold my beer to, to that that notion. Yeah, trying to to grind his knee cartilage to dust. I would say that the likelihood of Tibbs being the coach for a long time is somewhat low. That's fair. Um, It doesn't take that many Tibbs years to grind a player down, though. So let me ask you this: Who do you think? Who is? Who do you think that I was of all the people on the list? Who are a couple that you thought I'm just like way too high on? Um, that's a good question. Um. I mean, I'm generally higher um, on Gobert than most people like you are. I think Tier 2 might be a little bit high, um, but that's not, like, that's not way too high, you know? Um, uh, I feel like I'd bump Anthony Davis down to 2C just because he's never on the court, but that's more of a quibble. Um Ben Simmons, I guess, in three. Like I, Ben Simmons as a player, I mean, I liked a lot, but we don't even know if he, you know, exists yeah. in more than in theory right now. Yeah, that's uh, I guess Clay in three C, based on what he did 
this season might be a little bit high too. Um, but if you think he can get back to not necessarily pre-injury clay, but something approximating it, then I think it makes sense. Um, I think I think there's there's pro, there's, there's a oh you know who my guy is here it's yeah. it's Simons as four B as opposed to five. That's that's one that I've that I kind of of uh, I, I may have I may have been a little too like I'll 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 own that one that I may have been a little too um, like optimistic. overzealous or whatever yeah a little maybe a little <laughs> too overzealous about a, a guy. Um, there's there's probably some style points in there just for how how fun it is to watch him get buckets that probably that probably colored uh, my opinion on him a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I mean I, I enjoy watching him as well, but I'm looking at the other four uh, B guys, and I feel like most of them I would pretty clearly take next season over him, and he seems just like a little bit of an odd fit there. That but that doesn't like if he gets better, then he's going to make it look stupid, you know. Um, and I guess maybe Derek White in 4B, given some of the playoff, like there was a bunch of very good playoff performances, but there were also a bunch of very bad playoff performances and specifically instances of him, like not not only not making shots, but not being willing to shoot. And that specifically can hamstring a team in a playoff situation. Um, that would be maybe another one. Yeah, um like it sort of there there are times where he did sort of the Kyle Lowry memorial thing of playing well except for not making shots. And that's, yeah. that always sounds that always sounds weird. He played pretty well, he just didn't make shots, but there were I thought there were a lot of games and some of it like, you know, his his you go back and watch some of the stuff from the finals and yeah, Steph got loose on them a little bit, but man, those were some tough shots that we're going in and like Steph will do that, but it's just like, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I have seen anyone consistently, you know, you're never going to be able to shut him down. Cause it's, you know, Steph Curry, it's a top 10 ish, you know, in that discussion, at least for top 10 player of all time. So he's going to give you buckets, but I, you know, I'm trying to think of the last player I saw consistently be able to, you know, make him go to his third or fourth, you know, option. On a, on a given play to get a shot off, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Um, and then I guess two I mean, or five it, guys. It, like I don't know it, how much utility it, D'Angelo Russell or Larry Markkinen have. Um, those might have been the Markkinen, guys. Markkinen is a guy I've come around on. I've never been a big, big fan of him. I thought he was. I thought he was significantly better this year and actually held up well defensively as a three. Now that some of that is like their their having so much size behind him allowed him to sort of. I'm just going to crowd everyone, and if I get beat, there's Mobley and Allen behind me, so it's fine. Um, but I, I, but I think that you know, the combination of, of size and shooting, and, and kind of willingness to to to, to use the size, um, I think I think he's a, I think he's a you know pretty solid player in sort of a, in sort of a Kyle Kuzma esque territory. I'm more in on Kuzma on, on defense than yeah. I am. Kuzma is a player. Uh, frankly, I almost had him tier four, so I'm I'm, I'm with you on, on on Kuzma. I think I just I think it, flexibility it, wise, yeah. he gives you more just as a three four instead of a a four five who has to masquerade as a three because of the team he's on. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think I mean I think you probably in some in some situations can probably play him at the five, but that's yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I, I didn't think there was anything like particularly, you know, egregious, like worthy of threats or whatever. Um, <laughs> Mike, Mike Conley being in tier five is just sad for me, uh, personally, like on a personal yeah. level. Um, it's I feel like it, it Mike, might be time. It might be time. Yeah, he he didn't shoot well on twos last year. He still shot like almost forty percent from three, I think. But the ability to get in the lane and even the righty floater didn't go down as often last year. Um, and then I'm um, so PJ Tucker is in tier five too, and I feel like you know for the regular season that's definitely true. But in a playoff series, he's like a tier three or four guy, if that makes sense. Is he? I mean, I think specifically for his ability to defend the best guys. Like, I think I kind of feel like he has to. And I know the, that he doesn't do very much on offense. I, his 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 usage rate did tick up last year from, like, is that guy even on the court levels to, all right, he's over there levels um, on offense. And the Heat involved him in way more action than he had been involved in over the last several years. Now, whether that or, whether or not that's a good thing, it's uh, is something we could debate about, but you know I, I think that specifically his utility as a big wing defender that is able to soak up like thirty eight minutes a night in playoff games and make dudes work. Um, I do think bumps him up a tier or two in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean I see what you're saying, but it seems like he's getting you're we're kind of over indexing on you know the visible efforting of he's really getting after a guy. It's just like. Yeah. Okay, but we go back and look, and what did Durant do? What did Tatum do against? You know, it's it's sort of like, it, yes, he's he's getting after it, but really, is is the impact that much, or is it just like, man, he's really, you can see the dog in him, kind of thing. Well, I think that that does have additional value over just being able to see it. Like if you come into a series and you know. I could put P.J. Tucker on KD for 38 minutes, and maybe he won't do an amazing job, but he's going to make him work really hard, and he's going to make it tougher than anybody else on our team would. I think that that has a certain amount of value because you don't have to use Jimmy Butler to do that, or you don't have to use now he's on the Sixers. So I would, I would be more amenable to that. I would be more like I would be more amenable to that if he was someone who, you know, the just the offensive zeroness is. Mm -hmm. Is you know again? There's a reason I have Dorian Finney-Smith and like Mikhail Bridges and guy like the, the, you compare what those guys can do offensively to what Tucker can, and it's just it's it's night and day. And I think that's you know there's there's some defensive similarities. You know maybe Bridges isn't quite you know the physical style, but Finney-Smith certainly is. Um, but they're just so they have so much more with the ball in their hands, so mm-hmm. much more versatility as shooters, um, play on the move so much better. That I that that's where, yeah. That's I mean, what you're talking about is why he's in tier five, not why he should be in tier three or four. Mm-hmm. No, I, I didn't mean that he should be there like now. I meant that like in playoff situations, you can make an argument that he is in there. Um, I'm curious then, what kept the you know the group of elite role players you have, which is Wiggins, Finney Smith, Mikel Bridges, and OG. What um, what keeps them on the the tier four side of the Tier tier three, tier four barrier that you mentioned. Um, basically, I mean, if, unless you can start to get like, it's hard for me for a non-big. If you can't either be like a, you know, a a high-level playmaker for teammates, or 
or carry like a, at least like a mid twenties usage at decent efficiency. It's hard to say that you're you're doing much more than being a high end role player. Mm-hmm. Um, just just because you know even as good a like as good a wing defender as you can be, it's, there's just not as there's no way for a wing defender to provide as much value as a as an interior defender. They can't you know you can't build a defense around that in nearly the same way. All right. That makes sense. Well, cool. Uh, I think we're probably, we're going to wrap here in a second. If anyone else has any questions, uh, pipe up now or forever hold your peace or just yell at me in my DMS like everyone else is. (laughs) Um, any, any other thoughts you'd like to, uh, you'd like to give on the, uh, the thankfully passed now the thankfully completed and published 2022 edition of the player tiers. I still think it's a crime on par with genocide that Bruce Brown was not in the tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and Lonnie Walker wasn't there either. And uh, no, I, I didn't even um, like Constantine Popa didn't even get a, a consideration. Uh, see, I didn't bring up Lonnie or Davon Reed because I, there's only one of the Miami guys is actually worth including right now. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to think yeah. of of how far back I can go with with different Miami guys to just start to start. Oh, we could go to James Jones. We could go to Daquan Jones. We can go to uh, Dewan Hernandez, who was uh, I believe playing for the Bucks summer league team this year. Um, you know, I-, I used to reminisce about some guys with James Jones when I'd see him in the locker room. There you go. Well, you know. Next, uh, if we have to get some some hurricanes, remember some guys. Well, we know we can go to you. Uh, <laughs> we Jared, can go thanks. to James Jones too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jared, thanks a lot for joining me and helping uh, talk through this, uh, folks. I am going to be driving next week, so I will uh, record a few uh, pods over the next couple of days to release next week. But not going to be any live shows next week. But I will talk to you all on the flip side and take care. Thanks a lot for listening.